immediately strange in the motion. It galloped along at a steady or rhythmic pace. But the blonde begins to slip from the saddle. In terror, she grabs her horse's mane, but cannot seem to get a firm grip. Tries to throw her arms around the horse's neck, but she slides down the side of the horse anyway. The horse gallops along seemingly imposing a stiff, slipping stride. Finally, giving up her frail grip, the blonde attempts to leap away from the horse and throw herself to safety. Unfortunately, her foot has become entangled in the stirrup. She's now at the mercy of the horse's pounding hoofs. Her head is struck against the ground over and over again, and as her head is battered against the ground, she is mere moments away from unconsciousness. And to her great fortune, the Walmart greeter sees her and unsells the horse.
go back to the 1970s, I remember traveling all the way to Little Rock, Arkansas, and seeing a man by the name of John R. Rice, who was at that time about 80-something years old, him and another preacher by the name of Jack Howell. And I remember them preaching, and I remember Rice preaching. And he talked about these kind of sermons, and he talked about Jesus coming back, and he's coming back not as a meek and lowly baby in the manger, but he was coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he was coming back to revenge. I know that Rice, every message he preached, he preached with tears running down his cheeks. This is not just a sermon. This is reality. And the reality is that every one of us in here will one of these days, if, if, if we don't come to Christ, if we've already come to Christ, then we're secure. But for those who have never come to Christ, this is the reality. But for those of us who have come to Christ, we've got people in our family that don't know Jesus. And this is what's going to take place. This is what's going to take place. I wonder why, you know, as I pray every week, I pray to see what God wants me to say and what He puts upon my heart. And I started thinking about why this. And in the last few weeks, because of the coronavirus and everything that's going on, this has not been easy because it feels like every week that I get ready to preach, God gives me something that needs to be said to you to uplift you, to get you to the place that you understand that our Father in Heaven is sovereign. He's in control. I know what Washington, D.C. is doing right now. I know what all these other things are happening, but God is in control. And every message, it seems like every week, it's, it's almost an urgency to get this over to you, to get this inside you. And I thought to myself, I said, Lord... Revelation 19, why in the world do you want me to preach on this? And then the Word sort of came back to me, and I began to realize what it is, is this. We don't know who to believe anymore. And not only do we not know who to believe, we believe that we're living in a country today where it looks like there are people that are doing things that are just diabolically evil, and it looks as if they're going to get away with it. tells me as black and as deep and, and, and as horrible as all this may sound, that there's coming a day when God is going to reckon all this. There was a time in this country where men could settle anything in their life by a simple handshake. Today, you can have an orange-clad contract by all the lawyers in the world signed, and it doesn't mean a hill of beans. There used to be a time that I felt really secure in this country. Because we had a constitution that said that one branch of government could not override the other branch of government. But now, today, it looks like we don't even pay attention to the constitution anymore. So don't get discouraged. Understand that God is in control. And not only is He in control, but there is coming a day, a day of reckoning. And the Bible tells me over in the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, it says simply that whatsoever a man soweth, that he shall also reap. And let me say that that is an immutable statement. What does it mean? That's the law of God. It cannot be repealed. And it will happen one of these days. So as I read chapter 19, let me show you where we are on this. So you, can, if you can, can we put that uh, 
upset. We've used this so many times, I hope you're getting used to it, but we'll do it again. We, if you see this chart up here, what I'm saying to you, Calvary, where the cross took place, where Jesus died for our sins, and yet three days later we know he, he resurrected from the dead, and then we know that He ascended up into heaven. What that ushered in is what you and I are living in right now. We live in the church age. And in the church age, the Bible tells us there's coming a time that what's going to take place is the rapture of the church and when God is going to take us up out of here. First Thessalonians 4 says, The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord forever. That's what's fixing to take place. We're looking forward to that time during that seven-year tribulation. The Bema seat, the Lamb Supper is what we're going to go through during that. We're in heaven with Him. But during that seven years is one of the worst times in the history of mankind. Jesus said there's never been a time like it, nor will there ever be. There's never been a time like that seven years. And those who are left behind to face those seven years will literally go through hell. Then the Bible tells me that this last era coming down where it says the battle of Armageddon, but what it is is Jesus comes back. Now, people say, I'm confused about something, Lee. You talk about the second coming of Jesus, but you take the fact He came first as a baby, then He came He came as the rapture, He comes the rapture, and then here's the second coming. It looks like to me there's three. No, there's not. Why? Because the first time when He came, He came and He slipped, foot, set foot on this earth when He was a baby. When He comes in the rapture, according to the Word says, that we will meet Him in the air. He does not put His foot on this earth. When He comes back on the second coming, He's coming back and the book of Zechariah tells us that He's going to put His foot on the Mount of Olives and it's going to cleave to the left and the right. He's going to set His foot right on this earth. So He's not three times. He only is in twice because we meet Him in the air. Now many today teach that God is a God of love and I believe He is. The Bible says that. It says God is love. But they go so far to teach that there is no judgment coming, even though when I come over here to the end, the Bible teaches me, according to the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, that the rest of the dead live not until the end of the, the thousand years. And then comes what? The great white throne judgment. That's for all those for all those who have never come to know Jesus Christ. You're, if you're saved, you're not going to be standing there beside a bunch of lost people finding out whether you have it or not. Because the Bible says in John, 1 John 5, 13, these things that are written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God in order that you might know you have eternal life. God, you know that now. You know it now. And so the great white throne goes, they teach there's no judgment, and people like Rob Bell or who others are now teaching there is no hell. Well, Jesus says over in the book of Mark, he doesn't say it once, he says it three times, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. He says it three times. He repeats it three times. And so when he repeats it, it tells us there is a hell. The first time that Jesus came, He came as a baby in the manger. And the Bible says of Jesus, Matthew 12, verse 20, A bruised reed He will not break, and a smoking flax He will not quench, till He sends forth justice to victory. Till He sends forth justice to victory. You notice that? He was gentle, He was loving, He was kind, until He does what? Till He sends justice to victory. The Bible reveals another side of Jesus when He comes back. In fact, I actually when I, I, I saw what takes place when Jesus returns on earth in glory, but I almost call this a different picture of Jesus because it is. The Bible reveals that other side, and He comes back to this earth at a time of the second coming, 
And at that time, the Antichrist is ruling this earth. Who's the Antichrist? He's the son of Satan. God has a God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Who's the Antichrist? Got? The Antichrist, he's got the, he's got the, uh, Satan's got the Antichrist, which would be his son. And then who's the Holy Spirit in that? It is, it is simply the, uh, uh, the, the, well, my mind's gone blank here just a minute. Yeah, false prophet, thank you, false prophet. So he's grown so proud in this time of these seven years and so conceited that he has drawn up armies to fight against the Lord God Almighty. Only one, and to conquer the Antichrist, and that one is Jesus Christ. I remember walking by the Sea of Galilee when the last time we got to go to uh, Israel, and I was walking with Dr. David Reagan, and I asked him, I asked him simply this question. I said, that, I said, Dr. Reagan, do you believe that Second Chronicles 7.14 is going to be a reality? He said, Lee, I wish it could be, but I don't believe it will be. He said, I think our country has gone so far that I don't know whether we can turn back. I believe that that 2009-11, I believe that it was a shot across our bow to give us enough time to wake up and to see what he was trying to say to us. But I think we failed that thing. We failed that thing. We have a country now that now wants to, if, if this election holds, whatever, that we now believe, and I know some people say, well, you're not supposed to get political. I'm not getting political. I'm just telling you the truth. And the truth is simply this. We have a country now that believes in it. wants an wants abortion, that believes not only in abortion, abortion, but also believes in same-sex marriage. This is where we stand today. And who do we believe? And this is why this ma- What's the truth? You can't depend on the, the media anymore. Where do we get the truth from? We've got to go to God's Word. It's the only place. We've got to learn how to independently determine and come to a place that we study the Word to see what God's up to. But the only one that can conquer the Antichrist at that time is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the King of Kings. And when bad things happen, it must come to be before the world will call on Jesus, and yet some will still not in that time. Things have got to get so bad in that seven years that finally there will be people that will call on Jesus. We see Christ and His saints and the angels pose for descent in the chapter 19, the descent to this earth. The Antichrist, Revelation 13, 4, says, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Look what they're saying. This is our world today. This is what's coming out of the media and everything else. Who is like the beast? Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Who is able to stop him is what they're saying. Now I wonder if our Lord doesn't say to Gabriel, looks over to Gabriel, and he doesn't say, What did he say? Lord looks over to Gabriel and he said, "What did he just say?" He said, "He said." Uh, Gabriel said, "Lord, he said, he's a, who's able to make war with him?" And, and uh, what? Is, what is he, that's what he said, Lord. He said, "Who's able to make war with him? Who can stop him? Nobody can stop him." That's what he said. And I believe there's coming a time that Jesus, when he hears that, he's going to look over to Gabriel and he's going to say, "This, hand me my sword. Hand me my sword." Remember, seven years before he came in the air. And we met him in the clouds. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse fourteen says, "Even so will God bring with him those who sleep in Jesus." So we go up to be with him. But when, after that seven years, we come back with him, and we come back with him. That's what it says. Even so will God bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For some of us, first time we're going to see our mom and dad, another see our children or whoever it is when we meet him in the air. Man, what a, Amen. So. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we, we shall always be, notice this, we shall always be, what? With the Lord. Read that again. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Say that with me. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Let me ask you something. preposition in, uh, in the word with, that we shall always be with the Lord, and we will be with the Lord forever? Is there anything any sweeter than that? I don't think so. I don't think there is. Now, how we need the presence of the Lord today. His presence is greatly needed. The only hope for this world is Jesus. Only Jesus can stop a war. Only Jesus can give us permanent peace. Only Jesus can cast out fear. Only Jesus and the struggles of this in this sinful world can put an end to what's going on in this world. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can take away and destroy death forever. That's the main difference between Hinduism and Buddhism and Christianity. That Buddha's dead. 330,000 gods of the Hindu are all dead. They croak. But not my Lord. It's empty. It's empty. The tomb is empty. One look at the world today will convince you how much we need the mighty presence of Christ. But if the world needs Him now, how much more will they need Him at the end of that tribulation in that seven years when He comes? At that time, the Antichrist will be in full power, blaspheming and denying God, and all the world will worship Him. The people will be branded with a mark upon His head and in their hands, buying or selling. I'm going to say something right now, and I'll get trouble. I'll say it for a bit. I don't believe we're living in that tribulation right now. I believe with all my heart and soul that we're living in a time of, a, a, a time that we're leading up to the rapture of the church. I believe that Christ is getting ready to come to get us. I believe that. And I don't believe that we're in it. I don't believe the coronavirus. I don't believe the vaccine and all that kind of stuff is the mark of the beast yet. But let me just say this to you. When it tells us over in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans that the devil, what is, uh, that the Antichrist, you cannot buy or sell except you have the mark of the, uh, the mark of the beast. You have to have it on your forehead and your hand. And if you don't have that, then you cannot buy or sell. What does that mean? That means you couldn't, if you're a family, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you couldn't get food. That means if you run a business and you don't have that, you couldn't run your business. I got people think I'm a nut. I don't care. And I am a nut. My wife will tell you many times enough that I'm a nut. But while I don't believe we're in that tribulation, while I don't believe this is the time of the mark of the beast, I believe it's a tactic of Satan, and I believe that tactic is already being revealed and already being shown today. There are people today that tell me they cannot go to work unless they have, they have been tested for the coronavirus. There are people saying to me simply that the day will come, and I'm already seeing where that if you want to travel on your passport, if you don't have the seal on there that says that you've been vaccinated with the coronavirus, then you cannot travel. That's just a little truth. That's nobody else. But I believe we're experiencing that right now. 
they're telling us when we can come to church and when we can't come to church. You know, somebody told me that the governor came out this week and he said something to the effect that we can only have 25%. I told somebody, I said, well, if they call me, I'll tell them we're going to go over to the 7th chapter of the book of Revelation. And I said, this is how we number people because he said, and a multitude that don't make the numbers, take 25% of that and that's where our crowd is. People look at me and they say, well, you just don't care about your people. Yes, I do. I care about my people. But I also think there's a verse of Scripture over in the book of Acts that says this. It simply says that Peter and John are being persecuted and they were told not to preach in the name of Jesus. And what did Peter say? He said, we would rather obey God than man. And we're so afraid of what man can say when the Bible tells us simply that God says, don't fear him who can kill your body. Kill him, fear him who can take your soul. never been a time that we within the church need one another. We need one another. There are people out there, uh, nurses and different ones tell me the number of people that are going there because of depression, even attempted suicide and everything else is unbelievable. The numbers are up. time of the, of the tribulation, the Antichrist will be in full power, blaspheming and denying God, and all the world will worship Him. And the people will be branded with His mark upon their head. Godly Jewish remnant will be crying out, How long, O Lord? How long must your people suffer? The Holocaust, Let me and let me say this, and I, I've studied the Holocaust, and I've looked at it, and my heart bleeds for those people that have Cricket and I sat in a, in a railroad car in Washington, D.C. and listened to a tape of a, of a lady that was a, just a child in the Holocaust. And her dad made her wear a boot during that time of the Holocaust. And, 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 and when the Nazis came to get her, and she said, uh, simply said, I was so thankful later on that my dad made me wear my boots because they marched us through the snow and said so many of those little kids didn't have proper shoes on. those forces of the Antichrist who will attempt to prevent the Lord Jesus from coming back. And so the hour strikes. And the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, it says, And to give you who are troubled rest, this is this when Jesus comes, to give you who are troubled, this is those people, we're with Jesus at that time, but those people are left behind, to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angel. Here He comes. And in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, these, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. The 19th chapter of the book of Revelation gives us a vivid picture of the Lord Jesus Christ when He returns in glory. There will be no justice at that time on earth. Because why? The Antichrist is the Lord. Verse 11 tells us this. In, cha- in, in chapter 19, it says, And now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and righteousness, and he judges and he makes war. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming. Jesus is sitting on a white horse. And the Greek word here communicates this horse is a war horse. 
Its color is white. It's the emblem of Christ's purity and His holiness. What a contrast to when Christ came the first time. He came humbly, humbly and, and born in a major, an innocent baby. A stable was His maternity ward. And when just over yonder, you could see the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You could see Herod's temple. He was born in a stall with all the manure and all the and all the smells and the stench of that, of that, we try to paint it up, we take two before and make a little stable. That's not, it was a cave with soot hanging down from it, from the fires of men who had been there before. At this time, at this time, he comes astride of a magnificent steed riding in majesty. The first time he rode into Jerusalem, he rode on a little donkey with his feet probably dragging the ground, almost looked ridiculous. But, but he came because they were. They thought that the, when the Messiah would come, he would come and destroy what Rome was doing. He didn't come that way. They didn't realize he came to seek and to save that which was lost. To what was lost, our souls. Our souls. At this time, he comes on a mighty charger. Verse eleven. He's called faithful and true. Let his face. Let's face it. Men are not faithful, and they don't tell the truth. That's the problem. We haven't seen the truth in this world uh, for I don't know how long. We don't know who to believe, what to believe anymore. And yet Jesus said He's the truth. But our Lord is going to keep every promise and be true to every threat He ever made. Yes, He's God of love, but He's always just. The Bible teaches us that there are those who won't come to Jesus and they're storing up, building up wrath. If you're here today and you've never come to Christ, listen to what the Word says in Romans 2, 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath, revelation in the righteous judgment of God. Verse 11 also tells us He comes to judge. When He was upon this earth, men judged Him. Herod and Pilate and Caiaphas, and they crucified Him, the innocent, the innocent Son, the Son of God. Dr. Luke tells us in Acts 17, 31, it says, because He is appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He was ordained. He has given assurance of this all rising Him from the dead. He will judge in righteousness, but He was not judged that way Himself. They could not find Him guilty of any single thing. Even Pilate had to say, I find no fault in Him. When he comes, what does he? What will be the right? Everything he does will be right. He will judge the world in righteousness. Verse eleven. He comes to make war on this earth. That's right, Jesus, the humble Son of God, the the one who, not even a smoking flax, he was being so humble, so loving, so kind. He comes to make war. That's what the Bible says. To make war on this earth. And when, when there was the first time he ministered all who were needy, he held his arms out and said, Come unto me. All, uh, but all that has changed. He'll ride upon a white horse and will come for the express purpose of making war against the host of Satan which comes to oppose him. And the Bible says in verse 12 that his eyes will be a flame of fire. Think about this on earth, his eyes shone tenderness. And children everywhere ran to him and flocked there. And I could just see my Lord holding incident when he was trying to teach and his children were probably saying, just like our kids today, when the disciples tried to keep him quiet, he said, he said, let the children love you. Let the children love you. He held his arms out. And he said, come to me. 
He always ministered to the needy. He always did. And his, his eyes is a flame of fire because it was a day before he was crucified. They brought him across that, that, that port that morning. When Peter, he told Peter that, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me. And as Peter, they're bringing him across. Peter, finally the cock crows, and Peter looks up, and they're bringing Jesus across. And you can't even recognize who Jesus is. He's so battered and beaten. And Isaiah said you couldn't recognize him even as being a human being. And as he walked across it, Peter's eyes, knowing that he just he just re- said that I don't even know him, and began to curse. He looked, and their eyes meet. And his eyes penetrate into the deep parts and recesses of Peter. The same eyes that when he went to see Lazarus, knowing simply that he was going to resurrect Lazarus, and yet he hears Mary and Martha saying, "And how many times when we go through things do we hear? We say the very same thing, Lord, if you just." Well, Lord, if you'd just been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Lord, this wouldn't have happened. And yet, He told us some promises He would never leave us. Right there. And in those moments, as He got ready to call Lazarus out, He sees tears begin to fall from His eyes. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus says, because He feels our pain. You don't have a high fever. Can I just touch what I am saying? It comes with a name. Beckon, he will be beckoned with many crowns, verse 12. On this earth he was crowned with a crown of thorns, which is a symbol of a curse. But when he comes again, he will be crowned with glory and honor and symbols of his authority. He came before as a lonely man to suffer, but he will come again as a victorious conqueror. Many crowns will meet absolute authority. He will be king, not only king of the Jews, as Pilate described, but the king of the Gentiles as well. He will be king of kings and lord of lords, and all the world will be compelled to bow before him and submit to him universal authority. We won't have to worry about who's really running this place. For the first time, Jesus will receive the honor that was due him. I thought about that. You know why? There's a different reason. The Bible says simply that, that, that their crown will be given those who will love His appearing. And I want Him to come. But you know one of the reasons I want Jesus to come? I want Him to come because for the first time that He's in this thing, the first time He's going to be honored in front of all the world. For the first time. He comes, the Bible says in verse 12, with a name that no man knows, but He Himself and the Bible's names express nature. Peter meant rock. When Jesus comes, He'll be so majestic and so full of unspeakable glory that He has a name which no man fathoms. There'll be such a mysterious depth in Him that no one will be able to understand Him. In verse 13, He comes clothed with a robe dipped in blood. On the cross, His clothing is stained with His own blood. When He comes again, the blood will not be the blood of those be the blood of those who stand against the kingdom of God. That's what it says. He will be called the Word of God, verse 13. No longer will He be called Jesus, which means Savior, for His saving work will be over. The Word of God, His, his name points to the dignity and majesty and the glory of God. And John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word of God was with God, and the Word was God. He will be called the Word of God. 
great eternal one existed before the world was ever made. And when He came to earth the first time, His humanity was most prominent. But that day, His deity will be the most prominent thing about Him. Verse 14 and 15, He comes to strike the nations with the sword out of His mouth. And when He would hear the first time words of blessing and comfort came out of His mouth, then that day a sword will come out of His mouth. All He's going to have, the battle of Armageddon will just, He's just got to speak. Throughout the years, he sent out for the word to slay the sin of men. And this day, the word will go out to slay the men of sin. Sometimes people want to try to find the United States in prophecy. I don't know that you can find it there. Maybe it is, and I don't know it. But the very reason I believe that you cannot find the United States in prophecy nowadays is because I believe it's for my own sake, as I've studied, that we will become one of the nations. Two things can happen that can cause that. One is the rapture. Because there's a, all kinds of people in this country that still believe in Jesus. And you think about when those people are taken out, it's going to decimate this country. Millions of people taken out from the world. And being honest with you, I hope the rapture doesn't come. Because there's two reasons. The other thing would be that we go down. That I've done wrong. That's what Jesus had to tell him. 
for that reason. And it tells me this is something to do with the nation. That wild of ours. We must and will function today, right now, in December of 2020, he deals in grace. He implores men to obey him and love him, but that day of grace will soon be over and he will compel men to obey. Christ today is the cross. It will always remind us of His submission to death and His blood shed for us. And I see Him on that cross and I've got to realize that upon that cross He was dying in my place. He was becoming my sin. He was dying for me. But in that day His insignia will no longer be a cross. It will be a rod of iron. Today, Jesus is tender and invites men to come and follow Him. But that day of tenderness will soon be turned to wrath. He will crush the head of the serpent. He comes to tread upon the winepress of fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Verse 15. In Isaiah 63, 3 says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. All the nations of the earth will be gathered under the leadership of the Antichrist to fight against the Lord and His host, but He will trample them underfoot. And Revelation 14.20 says, And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. This is called the Battle of Armageddon. And for 200 miles around this carnage would be so great that the blood would be on the horse's foot. 200 miles.
And this is called the Battle of Armageddon. And, and, and over that 200 miles, and Jesus will be the victor in the greatest battle ever fought. And the punishment He meets out will be fully merited. For He's been rejected and a murderer accepts in His place. He was openly blasphemed, but now the divine execution takes place. He comes followed by a great army. Chapter 14 says, army that's consistent of all believers from all ages, the face of God on white horses clothed in white horses.
Deus já tomou o nome de Estudante 